0: Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we speak to Vicky Chafe about her experience as a safeguarding lead and what inspired her to create the safeguarding community. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. I'm really happy to be here today with Vicky to talk about the safeguarding community that's recently been launched.
1: Vicky, you want to introduce yourself? Thank you very much for asking me here today. I'm Vicky Chafe. I am head of community relations here at the Safeguarding Company and before that I was a teacher in what feels like a previous life now, I think. <laughs> um, I started off in the classroom in a primary school and I then became an advanced skills teacher. So for a couple of days of the week, I was working for the local authority and I was supporting schools that were struggling and they needed help with certain things and coming out of categories. And I loved it. It was absolutely fantastic. You got to work with lots of different people that you wouldn't necessarily work with because it was all over the authority. It wasn't just in your cluster. And although you were going in to sort out specific issues, you actually found out that They had some really, really positive strategies and practices going on in their school. And what was really important was to be able to share all these great things that were happening. And then like everything really, the funding got cut, and I wasn't able to do that role anymore, but it was still really important that we had a place to share all these good practices. So I created a community called Primary School Leaders and it was a community for anybody in education in primary education specifically uh, of any level as well because that was really important that it wasn't just available for senior leaders but leaders of every level because it takes more than senior leadership to run a school. Um, I was uh, an assistant head teacher and became DSL and I loved being a DSL. I was incredibly passionate about it and I started working with charities on their provisions for education and um, so I worked with some charities with the prevent duty and I worked with other charities with their CSE programs or child sexual exploitation programs and it became very clear to me that there are some very very passionate people out there that take this role incredibly seriously but it is an incredibly lonely role as well because you're bound by confidentiality. You're dealing with harrowing and challenging cases at all times. You're dealing with very upset families and it's all on you and there's no really anywhere for you to go, especially if you're in a small primary school or just a small school in general and you're the only DSL and there's nobody for you to talk to. Um, and that really stuck with me so I have worked very hard to try and find a way of being able to support those people.
0: That's honestly amazing and I think having you with us and knowing your background as a DSL I know that launching the safeguarding community has come from a really good place where you really understand the struggles and like you say the loneliness of being a DSL and I guess like you said the community to connect with it's not just for safeguarding leads but everyone involved in safeguarding can you tell us a little bit more about the platform that's been chosen and why you picked this over any of the other social platforms that currently exist like Facebook or LinkedIn
1: absolutely i mean social media has its place in the world but it also has its challenges and one of the things that you can't do as a DSL or a safeguarding lead if you're out of education, is put yourself, your organisation or your family at risk, which means that you you can't talk about it with anybody at all, whether it's at home or anybody within the organisation that isn't also related to safeguarding. So there had to be a place that our safeguarding leads to go that was safe. We don't have control over the social media sites that are freely accessible to everybody. We don't have any of the terms of reference. We don't create the terms of use. We have no control over how their data is stored or used or interpreted. So if we wanted to create a place for our safeguarding leads and, uh, well, anybody, really, who's involved in safeguarding. Safeguardians, exactly, <laughs> Exactly, safeguardians. For our safeguardians to have a place where they could communicate with each other, it had to be on a place that was safe, that we had control over, that we could build from the ground upwards. And the whole community has been built with its users in mind because... Every single part of the community has had hours upon hours of thought gone into it, even to the colour scheme. I understand that when our members go to the community, they will be feeling quite emotional. Mm -hmm. It could be for any number of reasons. I remember a specific time when I was a DSL and I was dealing with a case and a child and a family who had fleed from domestic abuse, and they had no money, they had no clothes, and I was going around charity shops at the weekend to try and find things for them, and I was trying to get hold of uniforms for them, and school shoes. And I remember how emotional I was at that time, because you are so invested, and, you know, your whole purpose is to try and support these families. It's not just
0: a nine-to-five job, is it? You take it home with you. You don't stop thinking about it. It's always present in your mind.
1: Always. You can't just switch it off. It's not like you can leave the office and leave those problems there. Yeah,
0: like just turn your emails off and forget about it. It
1: just doesn't work like that. You're constantly worried about these children and their families. And I really could have done with somebody there that I could have just asked for help and support. I didn't know which charities I could go to early help has fallen to our schools because there's you know a huge huge need for this early help to happen Mm. but you'll come across cases that you've never come across before so you don't every case is
0: unique isn't it
1: absolutely and you don't know where to go to ask for support because there are so many wonderful charities out there that can help so actually having a place that you could ask these questions and get the help was really important and it had to be accessible when you needed it the most
0: just about to say that accessibility I think we forget how lucky we can be to just access a place where all the information you need is in one location and you don't have to google places to go for domestic abuse or to help with mental health and well-being so yeah I think the accessibility definitely plays a massive part in ensuring that safeguarding leads and Everyone involved in safeguarding is taken care of and supported.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, it was, it was also really important that after we'd chosen the platform, we had the admins trained around it so that we actually have our site moderated by administrators from nine o'clock in the morning until nine o'clock at night, seven days a week. And the reason for that is to make sure that it is that safe place, that our safe guardians can feel that they can go somewhere and know that we're there to help and support and make sure that this place is a safe place.
0: And that it's accessible, not between the hours of nine and five.
1: <laughs> exactly, because that's not when you need support. Yeah. Because you can go to people within your organization for support during office hours, so mm. to speak. But it's when you're at home and you're trying to go to sleep and you just keep thinking about that parent that you know is going to come in in the morning and ask for your help and you just don't know where to go. Or that child that you know has been at somebody else's house over the weekend, another relative, and you know that when they come in, they're going to be really struggling. Mm. You need that help then and that support, not when you're at your organisation and dealing with it then and there.
0: I guess it shows that we're thinking about safeguarders everywhere at all times of the day as well. And like you said, there's always support during the day when you're at work and there are other people to talk to, whether you're in a school or a sports organisation or a charity, even a, a church. But like you said, you're most vulnerable those late nights when you're trying to go to sleep and you just keep thinking about the details of the case. Um, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned the safe space and issues with talking to people because of confidentiality. Um, What have we put in place at the community to allow people to be able to talk but maybe remain anonymous if the case material is sensitive and they can't go into
1: details? Well, this was another reason why we had to make sure that the platform that we had encompassed our vision And one of the important factors was that of confidentiality because you might be dealing with detailed cases or sensitive or anything along those lines that you cannot talk about openly. So what we've done is we've created three rooms within the forum itself, Mm -hmm. within the community. And we've got the safeguarding staff room, which is for your general everyday kind of advice what charity can I get into support with?
0: Like um, the staff room
1: at work. Exactly, exactly. And we, we specifically called it the staff room for those levels of expectations. Because you go into the staff room, you ask for questions, you ask support, but you wouldn't be expected to go in there and start to, to shout or swear or, you know, say say things that are derogatory or anything like that. So there was a real reason behind us calling it the Safeguarding Staff Room.
0: I guess it opens it up to all levels as well. It's not just for safeguarding leads, but I think we talk about safeguarding and there's always a safeguarding lead, but that doesn't mean that all other staff members shouldn't be practising safeguarding. And it is really a whole organisation approach to safeguarding, which I think is why we're encouraging everyone to join involved in safeguarding, because ideally, everyone should be involved in safeguarding.
1: Absolutely. And that was the whole point of the of it being a staff room. And we talked about the fact that this isn't just for education as well. And every organisation has a staff room. And there's always that level of expectation that goes on in there. So that was the really purposeful name choice for that room. And then the second room is called the safe space. Mm-hmm. Now this safe space is for those more delicate questions the more sensitive questions maybe those ones where you can divulge a case without obviously names or or identities or anything like that where you're asking for support and it will be totally anonymous so there would be no way of a another member to be able to know which member has posted this the only people who can see who's posted it is myself and the other admins. And there's a reason behind that. And that's to keep you safe again. Mm. Because if, for example, you divulge too much information, I think when you're passionate about a subject, you find it very difficult to say things in one sentence. Of and course. you feel <laughs> and you feel sometimes the, the need to, to do a backstory and, and things like that. And actually there's no need for you to to do that. And in fact, it could lead you to become vulnerable and, you know, divulge too much. So it's important that the admins then know who's posted it so we can get in contact with you and say, look, you need to to change it or you need to to reword it or something like that. So it's just another way of us keeping you safe as well.
0: And can people respond to the post anonymously as well?
1: Absolutely. Wonderful. Which is another really important Fact And another really important feature that we had to have with our platform is that as you respond, you could be at the the point where you might be divulging some information that actually Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be or it could lead you or your organization or your family out in breach of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. So that was important as well, that there was the functionality to be able to reply anonymously so that you're giving that support without putting yourself at risk.
0: Of course, and also the children and the young people, the organisation, everyone else involved in that case. Absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned earlier, Vicky, about the importance, especially in the safeguarding world, that we share best practice, not just within an organisation, but basically worldwide. So how do you think the community is going to help us with sharing best practice between like, not only organisations but different sectors and even different countries.
1: Well, we're really really lucky in the platform that we've chosen because there is a whole section on resources mm-hmm. and downloadable resources as well, so people can upload things that they have done, maybe that maybe there's been a parent workshop that's worked really well or there's been a um a particular display that's gone up to help the children to talk about their concerns and all of those things can be shared with everybody else so that people can just download them and also we're hoping that people will whenever there is a question that has been asked say for example what is your? what does your child protection policy look like or what should I have included or something along those lines that people will say, hey, actually, I'm really proud of what I've done. This is a safe place for me to be able to share what we've done because I think that there's an inherent need there for people to almost not shout about the work that they've done because you're you're concerned about what other people might think about it. And we want to smash that because everybody in every organisation is doing something incredible to keep our children and young people safe.
0: We talk a lot about lessons learned and at the end of the day, how are you meant to learn from incidences that have happened if you're not willing to discuss and talk about, you know, we noticed that this issue was occurring and now we've put in steps to improve it and look, bullying's gone down by 20% at school.
1: Absolutely. You can't have a proactive approach without a self-assessment that goes on with it. Because how do you know what to target for next year? How do you know what your staff need training on? How do you know what your families need support with if you don't do some form of assessment? You might not like the look of the assessment when it comes back out, but actually it's a starting point. And that means that you have now got the tool to be able to have that proactive approach. So say, for example, you've got my concern. Mm-hmm. You can use my concern to look at the most recorded concerns for the past six months, year. And if that comes up as being, say, for example, peer-on-peer abuse, you've got a concern there mm. that actually that you now have the information to be able to do something proactively about that. And that's something to shout about Definitely, proactive safeguarding is incredibly difficult and it's hard to prove because you're trying to prove a negative in the sense that you're trying to reduce the amount of concerns that come in because you're making more people aware about it and you're teaching people about it. But we should be shouting about that. We should be saying, hey, we saw that there was an issue and this is what we've done to tackle it. it
0: shows you have being more proactive and you're not just reacting to the concerns as they pop up, but like you said, taking those steps to analyse what's been happening within your organisation to then prevent it from happening in the future, which I think, I think a lot of organisations forget that and it's, oh, you know, the bridge is broken, let's fix it. But if you maintained the bridge it wouldn't even break and you wouldn't have to fix it.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, there's so much that can come from from this. And it's supporting that open culture as well. You don't know, for example, what your staff don't know if they don't feel that they could come and tell you. So if you don't have that open culture of saying, hey, do you know what? I'm actually really struggling with the concept of what the concerns might be for physical abuse or Mm. something like that. Well, probably more neglect. Yes. Yeah. Physical abuse is quite obvious, but for, say for neglect, if you don't have that open culture of that staff member being able to come to you and say that, how do you know that actually that's something that you need to implement for next year?
0: This goes back to what we mentioned earlier as well about safeguarding being the responsibility of every person who works within that organisation. Because like you said, the safeguarding lead might be responsible for reporting and managing concerns But it could be your bus driver who notices bruises on a child. It could be the art teacher who sees a young girl with expensive jewellery that looks out of place on a 10-year-old. I think like lunch ladies, janitors, caretakers, they're all there and they all see the students every day or whoever is involved with the organisation. It's important for them to understand what they see is also important for the big picture of what's happening within your organisation.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And then that goes round to to the low-level allegations against staff. Yes. Having that open culture where people can self-refer as well. Yeah, like I've so done important. something
0: that might be perceived as inappropriate, so I'll tell you now so that you know it's not. Absolutely. And that I've acted with the best interests in heart.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and that open culture is what is going to underpin your safeguarding culture.
0: Do you think that open culture is also going to help with the mental health and well-being of staff? Because as you've said, it sounds lonely, at times overwhelming, and it must have quite a negative effect on your mental health when you're dealing with sometimes what are quite devastating issues. And we hear about it, the children who are hurt, And I'm not even a safeguarding leader, just working at the safeguarding company, I can say there are days where I'm like, my goodness, it is devastating. So do you think the community will help people manage their own mental health and well-being when they're dealing with this kind of material every day?
1: Absolutely, because there is nothing more supportive than somebody who knows exactly what you're going through. And, you know, you don't have to go into all of the details to say, I just need someone to say, hey, I'm feeling the same. And that's what the community's there for. Go into the safeguarding staff room and say, I'm really struggling today. And just look at the response of the people that say, I'm feeling the same. Do you know what's really helped me? Making sure that I go for a walk at lunchtime. Making Mm. sure that I actually have 10 minutes at lunchtime, as hard as it may be, to go for a walk or to make sure that on a Saturday I spend time with my family or my friends. And then it's that sharing that good practice as well. So you don't just feel on your own anymore because you know that other people are going through, but also you're getting some good advice.
0: Of course. I know in the community a few weeks ago, we also put a helpline in, which is a 24-hour helpline available seven days a week from the company or the non-for-profit education support and they do amazing resources for mostly teachers, but the resources can apply to anyone who is struggling with their mental health. So we do try to put resources like that in where, you know, if you're struggling, and you need someone to talk to, those numbers are available as well.
1: And you know, we've got we've got lots of partners that are charities that we share those resources with you, mentally healthy schools. We've got good partnerships with as well, and as you said, education support. So there's always going to be help there for anybody who needs it.
0: I think it also shows that we're a community not just for individual people, but for other organisations to join as well and share best practice, to share resources. And like you said, just to connect, because I think especially in this day and age, we've just been through how many lockdowns, nearly two years of pandemic. I feel like A lot of people are really isolated at the moment. So connectivity is so important.
1: It really is. It's so, so important. You know, it's okay to not be okay. And I think that that's really important. It's okay. I think that's a
0: really nice place for us to finish this episode. So Vicky, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about your experiences, as well as why you thought community was a good idea and i think i really hope a lot of people are going to find it a really supportive environment if they're looking for resources advice or like you said if they just need to talk to someone who understands how they feel
1: thank you so much for inviting me here today to to share with you all the, the the whole reasoning behind the community and that it's here for anybody anybody
0: so to access the community, you can go onto the safeguardingcompany.com website and you'll be able to find a link there to join the safeguarding community. It is a completely free registration. Like we said, we just want everyone to feel connected, supported, and like they're talking to people who really understand. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit the thesafeguardingcompany.com.